Welcome to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaise Delfino of Audiology Services, the show that discusses hearing technology, best practices, and a growing national epidemic, hearing loss. Dr. Delfino, great to see you again. How are you doing? Good to see you, Blaze. I am extremely excited about today's episode. For those tuned in, during today's episode, Dr. Delfino and I will be discussing what you can expect at your initial hearing evaluation. Now, Dr. Delfino, before we dive in, can you please explain to our listeners the difference between a hearing screening and a hearing evaluation, because the two are very different, correct? Very much so. Um, Hearing screenings are really a way in which we can determine whether or not a hearing loss exists. There are predetermined frequencies that are used, predetermined intensities that are used, and it's a pass or fail criteria. And it's a means by which we use to determine whether or not further evaluation is needed. Um, An audiologic evaluation first and foremost, really wants to see whether or not there is any medical difficulties with the auditory mechanism. So we're using pure tone, we're using bone conduction, we're using speech, all gives us the uh, the status of the auditory mechanism and whether or not we need to refer for a medical evaluation or whether or not this person does in fact have a hearing loss. Mm, okay. And, and Dr. D, thank you for explaining that difference to our listeners. Now, Why is it so important for patients to visit an audiologist or hearing healthcare professional for a hearing evaluation? What does a hearing evaluation tell us that a hearing screening cannot? As I had said, the screening is yes or no, you have a hearing loss, but the evaluation will give you very specific information with regard to where the hearing loss exists what the impact is on your ability to hear and understand speech, what your levels of comfort or uncomfort are like. It tells us really about most of the auditory mechanism. Um, It doesn't really tell us about how we cortically process what's being said, but it tells us about the peripheral auditory mechanism. And so from that, we can determine whether or not a hearing loss exists, does something need to be done, and what has to be done. Mm. Dr. D, it sounds like you've been uh, <laughs> you've been doing this for quite some time. <laughs> thank sure. you, thank you for that that extremely in depth explanation. The difference between a hearing screening and a hearing evaluation. That's wonderful. Now, again, for our listeners on this episode, we are going to be discussing what you can expect at your initial hearing evaluation. It's most likely been about 10, 15, 20 plus years since you've had your hearing tested. You may be feeling anxious. What if I have a hearing loss? What if they find something else? You might be even saying, you know, my friends have hearing aids and they hate them. We're here to tell you it's okay to feel these feelings. However, you need to commend yourself for taking this important first step And Dr. Delfino, to dovetail off that, there is um, a book that you were sharing with me um, by Catherine Booten, and I think this really ties in extremely well with today's episode and a lot of the the feelings and the emotions that go and, and that exist when a patient is 
starting their journey to better hearing. Yeah, Catherine Booten, uh, the name of the book is Shouting Won't Help, Why I and 50 Million Other Americans Can't Hear You. The first edition was published in 2013. And the first time that I read it, it was it was compelling. And the second time I read it, it was even more compelling because it really describes Catherine's journey. What's unique about her is that she uh, was a former editor of the New York Times. And so she very eloquently describes her experience in great detail. Anyone that is concerned about whether or not they should set up for an evaluation, this book will certainly clarify lots of issues in great detail with a very personal note on it as well. Dr. D, I want to say a few lines from this book. And Catherine reports that no one wants to admit to hearing loss. And because the onset is usually gradual, it's easy to ignore. Throughout your experience, how true is this statement? This statement is extremely credible, and, and I, I know this just even from um, from my own personal experience with my father, seeing patients throughout the years. And that denial oftentimes takes different forms when a patient comes in. Some are very angry. Some are depressed. Um, no one wants to admit that they have hearing loss. So you may wind up in your initial dialogue where a patient will tell you, mm. I don't have any mm. hearing loss. I'm here because my spouse brought me. Absolutely. And so that's where, that's where we start to dive deeper. And we hear that a lot in the clinic. And Catherine describes her own personal experience as, it was only when I lost my hearing that I became aware of how important hearing is in establishing one's sense of place. Hearing anchors you in the world. It puts you at the center of a multidimensional universe. We hear things behind us, above us. We hear our stomachs rumble and our hearts beat. We hear in the dark. We hear in a cave. This is so powerful, Dr. D. Yeah, and absolutely. with today's episode talking about what to expect at your initial hearing evaluation, we wanted to discuss the feelings that our patients will feel before they come into the clinic. And we're here to tell you again, it is absolutely normal and okay to feel those feelings. We're here to help you bridge that gap. Catherine also states that the evaluation, the hearing evaluation must be intensely personal and patient directed. Now, first things first, before you go for your initial hearing evaluation, you will need to select an audiologist or hearing healthcare professional. Dr. D, we know that nowadays this decision can be very difficult because of social media, direct mail advertisements our patients have received. Um, patients may be thinking to themselves, well, who can I trust? We're here to tell you, please do your research. Ask friends who wear hearing aids if they're satisfied not only with the hearing aids that they're currently wearing, but are they satisfied with the hearing healthcare provider and the service at the clinic they currently go to? You know, Blaze, and I have to tell you, there have been many years where I've worked at facilities where they did not dispense hearing aids, and patients would ask, okay, what can I, where can I go to get amplification? And my, my response has always been, you need to 
interview people to select someone that you trust, that you feel comfortable with, because this is not a once and done adventure, if you will. This is a lifelong association with someone who is going to be making a huge difference in your life and you need to have them available. You need to have a good connection between you and whomever your hearing healthcare provider is. It's it's that professional relationship. It absolutely is. And that's something that um, we encourage prospective hearing aid users um, and individuals just starting their, their hearing journey to partner with a hearing healthcare professional because it is very personal. It absolutely is. So moving forward, you've done your research, you've read the online reviews, maybe you've even called the clinic that you're interested in going to, which we encourage you to do that. How do they pick up the phone? I think that's really important. I know that um, I do that as well when I am about to uh, maybe make a purchase or select a healthcare provider. Either way, you've made the decision to go to said hearing clinic and you're confident in your decision and excited for your appointment. Now, Dr. Delfino, let's just say I'm visiting a clinic for my very first time for my initial hearing evaluation. Mm-hmm. What does the intake process look like for patients at their initial hearing evaluation? For example, let's just say I have ringing in my ears. Will there be additional paperwork that I need to fill out? What does this process look like? And really, what information will the clinic request? We, we will typically use, and it's not really a standard form. There are certainly some questions that are going to give us some insights with regard to what's going on. But most importantly, we find, and Blaze, you and I have done this since we've been working together, that by asking the patient directly, instead of just giving them a, a form to fill out, by interacting with them, building a sense of camaraderie. Tell me a little bit about more more about what's going on, because if a, if a question is a yes or no, it doesn't really give us enough information. So asking the questions, asking the patient to elaborate, letting, letting our patients do the talking, tell us what is the issue so that we, as good listeners, can address the issues that they've come to see us for. Absolutely. And I know that on the the intake forms that we provide our patients, we do have some open-ended questions, different motivational sheets on there. And really the the core of getting to understand our patients' challenges is really when we bring our patients back into the audiology suite. I'm curious to know, Dr. D, when, when patients are completed filling out their intake form, so they've, they've walked in, they've been greeted with a big smile um, by the patient care coordinator, and they've just finished all of their paperwork. When the audiologist or hearing healthcare professional is reviewing these intake forms, what are you as an audiologist looking for? Are there, are there patterns that you're looking for? Kind of bring us through that process. There are certainly certain uh, red flags that you really, that you look for. First and foremost is I want to see whether or not this is something that's going to require some medical attention. If not, then the questions as I go through each one of them, I'm thinking to myself, how long has this been going on? What what have been the highlighted areas of difficulty? Um, was a hearing evaluation done recently? Never. All of these questions I'm able to formulate in my own mind what this 
what what this is going to be like for this patient. How am I going to set up my evaluation mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. best address the issues that the patient is telling me that they're having? Let's take a quick break. Running a private practice is challenging, and it's especially difficult if you're using a management software system that's out of date or doesn't really fit your needs. As a former private practice owner, I personally found Cycle to be such an incredible tool that is easy to use and is really in the best interest of my patients. Cycle provides you with industry-specific workflows and features for a smooth running front office, and if you've been listening to the Hearing Matters podcast, you will know that I believe that the front office staff is really the most important position in a hearing care clinic. Learn more at cycle.com. That's S-Y-C-L-E.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Wow. And this is only the intake, so a lot has already gone into this initial evaluation. Dr. Delfino, you've interpreted the intake forms You've essentially created your own hypothesis. Now it's time to bring the patient back. This is where my curiosity comes in. You've treated really over tens of thousands of patients throughout the 35 years that you've been a practicing audiologist. What do you think to yourself or maybe tell yourself before you bring the patient back? Essentially, this specific patient has never visited a hearing healthcare clinic. This is their first time. How important is their experience? It's really the cornerstone upon which we build our relationships. Uh, As I had said previously, I tell people, if you're looking for someone to service your hearing health care needs, you need to have someone that you can connect with, someone that you trust. And that's where that begins, sitting them down, making them feel comfortable, reviewing what's going on, listening to what's being said. I already have got some questions prepared in my mind with regard to what they have said on their intake forms, and I want some elaboration on it. I want to hear and get a sense of what their experience has been like, what would they like to have happen, and then from there, move on to some resolution. So the patient is now in the audiology suite. You've reviewed the intake forms. Do you just start testing their hearing at this point? What uh, what kind of goes goes on right now when the patient is now in the audiology suite? What goes on now? Well, the the patient, and, and I know just from myself, when I go to um, my physician's office, I like to know what uh, what's coming. I don't want any surprises, and so I like to elaborate and to illustrate to the patient what's going to be done on a step by step basis letting them know what the test will do, what it means, how it may make them feel comfortable or uncomfortable, and get some reaction from them. So again, that they're not taken, they're not caught off guard, but are prepared. Um, and this also helps me with, you know, them not flinching during tympanometry or it prepares <laughs> them for, uh, for what's to come. I've heard our patients tell you, number one, how comfortable they are when they come see you, especially patients that you're just meeting and we are just meeting. Um, it is so important. And, and what we found is asking those open-ended questions. And really, when you and I first meet a patient and they sit down in the audiology suite, we always ask, what would you like to accomplish today? And that is so important because we need to understand what the patient would like to accomplish 
at today's appointment. Being hearing healthcare professionals, we understand these emotional ties and um, essentially the anxieties that patients are feeling at this initial appointment. So we've gone through the intake form. You've essentially understood and are now having a better understanding of what the patient would like to accomplish. Where do we go from here? When does actual testing begin? Once the patient, if, uh, I will ask them, do you have any questions before we get started? And if they answer, they're ready to go, then we will start with video otoscopy. Um, and that is such a, a nice tool because it's so interactive with the patient. They are given the opportunity to watch on a large screen what their ear canal looks like. Many times patients will come and say, well, my hearing loss is because I've got some wax in there in my ear. Video otoscopy allows myself, you, and the patient to determine whether or not the, um, the ear canal is clear, that the tympanic membrane is healthy, that um, landmarks are present, and it alerts us to any things that we need to perhaps refer out for. So that's where it begins. And we always say, get your popcorn ready because you're about to see your eardrum on the big screen. Um, you have to have fun. You Absolutely. have to have fun in, yeah. the, in the clinic. So my ears are clean. There's no scarring, no discharge, no perforations. What's next after video otoscopy? Now that we've seen the tympanic membrane, now I want to know how well does it function. And the tympanic membrane is the eardrum. Um, so we'll do a, a test called tympanometry, and it tells me about the mechanical function of the middle ear. Uh, some of the information it gives me also is how intact the eardrum is. Um, from years of doing pediatric audiology, oftentimes tympanometry would mean a large, uh, what's called opening pressure volume. It tells me that their ventilating tubes are working. But our tympanometry for it, the adult patient will tell me that their eardrum is in fact intact. We will then do some what are called stapedial reflexes, and that's a very primitive protective device that the ear has. It's elicited uh, by a tone. It's bilaterally innovated. It gives me information. Where I use that is for some sound tolerance issues. If there's a reduced what's called sensation level, I know I need to be careful with how much sound I'm going to be putting in that ear. So UCLs are going to be important as well. Wow. That tells you a lot then. It does. Tympanometry and, and testing the reflexes. That's, that's in depth. Yeah. So we know that the patient's eardrum is functioning how it should. We don't need to get too in-depth with the protocol, but what can the patient expect next? We've conducted video otoscopy. We know that their eardrum is moving how it should through tympanometry. What's next? Well, again, depending upon their intake, if tinnitus is an issue, then we would consider doing some um, autoacoustic emissions. And uh, after that, we would then bring the patient into the booth and start with speech audiometry. And that's it's very different for every audiologist. But again, it's a way in which I'm connecting with my patient. I'm putting them in an isolated room and I don't want them to feel isolated. <laughs> so I want to have I want to have some conversation. How are we doing? You want do you them to be comfortable. Here exactly. I'm going in this uh, this six by six sound treated booth. Yes. You want them to feel comfortable. So you start with speech audiometry. Yes. You collect the data that you need. Yep. Mm -hmm. Where do you go after speech audiometry? After speech, then I'll, I'll conduct my pure tone for for sounds throughout a uh, frequency range, and I do all what are called the interactives. Um, I will then do speech and quiet, 
speech and noise. And I do another speech test, which gives me an indication as to whether or not a patient is going to need some augmentative devices. And again, it's very, very different for each patient. That's why we have a battery of tests, depending upon what the patient needs. But air conduction, bone conduction, speech, and anything augmented based upon what I'm hearing is what's done. And now I have a full profile of what I'm looking for. Mm. Now, Dr. Delfino, I have heard this in the clinic at Audiology Services from patients time and time again. You conduct something called speech and noise testing that tells us a lot of information. We'll most likely talk about this more in depth, uh, potentially, hopefully one day with Dr. Douglas Beck, Mm -hmm. um, about the speech and noise testing and why it's so important. But we've heard so many patients say, I've never had that test done before. How important is speech and noise testing to the uh, comprehensive audiological evaluation. It's essential, Blaze, and you and I know this from countless patients that come in and will say, tell us, I have trouble understanding speech. I have trouble understanding. Not that I have trouble hearing, I have trouble understanding. And so without doing speech in noise, I have no idea what, to what extent or to what degree they're having difficulty with speech in noise. And mm-hmm. so to omit it, I'm leaving a lot out with regard to counseling this patient as to what is the best resolution for their for their communication difficulty. For our listeners right now, if you want to learn more about the in-depth and really what goes into a comprehensive audiological evaluation, you can visit audiologyservicespa.com. Again, that is audiologyservicespa.com. We have a tab on the website that brings you through the entire audiological evaluation process. Now, Dr. Delfino, you've conducted the comprehensive audiological evaluation. You've completed pure tone audiometry, speech audiometry, speech and noise testing, bone conduction. This is a lot that goes into a hearing evaluation. When you are done testing, what happens next? Now comes the revelation to the patient, some of the fears that they might might have brought to the evaluation with, some of the concerns that they've been experiencing. Now is when we start to discuss that the hearing loss is real, what the impacts of it are, what kind of hearing loss it is. And while not getting too too technical, because what I found over the years is if I give too much information at one time, people will really only hear the first portion of it. So letting them know that confirming that their concerns about the hearing loss are true, but that they can be handled, they can be managed in a way in which are working together, we can ameliorate lots of their issues. Mm. Um, While we've identified it, we are now going to move forward to remediating it. What I found, Dr. D, is that when, so when we bring the patients into the technology suite to review their hearing results with them, because that's essentially what we do next is we escort them from the booth to the technology suite, and then we review their hearing sensitivity with them. We express that, yes, you do present with a decrease in hearing sensitivity. You are a candidate for hearing technology, and this is how we can help. What happens next? Do I have the chance to try the hearing aids on in the office to hear what they sound like? Can you kind of bring me through that process? That's really the 
the most exciting part of of what goes on when we've identified a hearing loss, someone has suspected it, we now have confirmed that, um, and now placing the technology on them in a way in which they, for the first time in many, many years, have heard sounds that they have not heard. The emotions, the the reaction, the impact is always. I, we never get tired of seeing it, or never get never stop being moved by it. It's amazing. It is absolutely incredible, and um, that's as I say, that's really the fun part of what we do. It absolutely is to see the smile on our patients' faces when they're in the technology suite, and we have them demo the hearing instruments, and we turn them on. And the smile that comes on their face because, oh my gosh, I haven't heard my spouse's voice this clear in 20, 30, how many years? I mean, it truly is incredible. And that's absolutely a reminder of why we do what we do. Dr. Delfino, we reviewed a lot today. And to our listeners, you will be able to review our show notes and our show description with some links to additional supporting documentation. Today's episode, we covered what your initial hearing evaluation looks like. Again, you can find more information at audiologyservicespa.com. That website is audiologyservicespa.com. Dr. D, do you have any closing remarks with regard to patients' initial appointment for their audiological hearing evaluation? What I what I hope we've we've done is at least sparked some impetus for some of you who are listening and unsure as to whether or not your what your next step is um, with regard to determining what your hearing status looks like. I think taking a look at Catherine Bowden's book "Shouting Won't Help: Why I and 50 Million Other Americans Can't Hear You" is a great primer for your decision to decide to move forward and get your hearing tested wherever you go, whatever you do. It's essential to the way in which you live. You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services. Please be sure to review our podcast. Five stars are always appreciated. If you have any questions hearing healthcare related, please visit us at audiologyservicespa.com. Tune in next week when we discuss the hearing aid selection process. Until next time, hear life story. Thanks again for tuning in to the Hearing Matters podcast today. I'm your host, Blaze Delfino, and on behalf of our entire team, thank you so much for the support. Truly, it means so much to us. Head on over to the Apple Podcast app and share your thoughts. What did you like most about this episode, and what do you like most about our podcast? Five-star reviews are always appreciated. And also, head on over to Instagram, hit that follow button, and let's connect. And as a team we can continue to help our community hear life's story.